0: And you're here. Thanks for choosing the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Your quest for podcasts of the paranormal, supernatural, and the unexplained ends here. We invite you to enjoy all our shows we have on this network. And right now, let's Let's start start with with Shades of the Afterlife with Sandra Sandra Champlain. Champlain.
1: Near-death experiences are something that intrigue everyone. Although stories are different because I think for as many people as have ever lived on this earth, we each have a different story of how life is and how death is. Death is unique to each one of us with some similarities. But today I want to introduce you to Pat Johnson, who had a near-death experience while kayaking. Pat is a very active member in IANS, which is the International Association for Near-Death Studies. IANDS.org. You can find out more. Pat, a warm welcome to you.
2: Thanks, Sandra. Appreciate it. Uh, you're very kind.
1: Well, you are too, to take a really horrific situation and now be on the other side to be able to serve mankind, telling your story. Well, we really appreciate it.
2: Oh, you, you bet. And, and I, you know, I love the opportunity to share, um, not not necessarily my story of my MD, but I love the opportunity to share the, the lessons and the messages that I received and and uh, what it's meant to me in my life and what what I hope it can bring to other people's lives.
1: Well, if you would, share your story, Pat. And I know you're coming to us today from Texas.
2: Well, uh, I live on the Blanco River. It's a river that uh, flows in central Texas in the hill country. Uh, uh, I'm located between Austin and San Antonio. I kayak. Uh, I usually go up a uh, river about oh eight or ten miles and kayak back to my house and and that's my typical trip and occasionally i'll go um south of my house and go downstream which is a a longer trip uh maybe 18 miles or 20 miles i hadn't done it in a long time and so i had a friend that was working at the south pole at the time and he had called me and I was, uh, and and uh, you know we always watch for the river conditions to be right. And it just so happened when he called me this week, uh, that we had had some rain and the river was up and flowing really fast. So that was when we liked to go. So I asked him, I said, uh, his name was Bobby Humphrey's childhood friend of mine. I asked Bobby to come up and spend the weekend with me and take the longer trip. And, uh, he came up and he's, he's just a great outdoorsman and traveled and adventured all over the world. So he's a perfect partner for, for a kayaking trip. And, we started out. This uh, it was a Sunday morning, September twelfth, two thousand ten, and the river was up probably about two feet over normal. So, if you're an adventurer and you like the thrill of the big rapids, that's a good time to go. So, we headed out, and uh, beautiful day. You know, crystal clear skies with little white puffy, puffy clouds. And uh, about two thirds of the way into the trip, we're crossing a low water crossing. I hit the uh, the top of the bridge and it turned my kayak sideways and I dropped off my kayak and uh, the water was real calm on the surface. So didn't suspect anything other than that. I just drop off the kayak and then swim over to shallow water and get back in the kayak and continue on with the trip. As I went on into the water, I got about uh not quite waist deep and uh, it just felt like uh the jolly green giant had reached up and grabbed me by the ankles and yanked me under the water. And, um, and at this point, I knew I was getting sucked into something a few years prior to this, I was in a uh near a low water crossing, and there was a washout under the bridge that was a natural washout and I'd gotten a leg my leg sucked into this washout, which was a small hole. you know I just bruised and <clears throat> scraped my leg, but uh you know no no damage, but I was aware of these washouts being under under these bridges. And so that's what I thought was happening. I thought I was getting washed into one of these, these washouts and, um, there's nothing I could do. I mean, obviously when, when you've got that much pull against you, you know, you can't swim against it or fight it. The only thing I could hope for was that my, my feet would hit a solid surface and I'd be able to pull my way out of it or walk my way out of it. Um, you know, since I'm at this point, I'm completely submerged underwater Mm -hmm. and, um, about that time, i feel these bumps on the tops of my hands, and I recognized it immediately. I'd been sucked into a corrugated pipe underneath this bridge that, that I was unaware of it being there. I was able to push my hands up and push my feet down, and I was able to stop myself inside the pipe. And uh, I looked over my shoulder, and it was total darkness behind me. So I'd grown up, uh, you know, shooting through these pipes as a kid and a teenager, and and uh, when we would do it, we'd typically run an inner tube through there, and we never went through a pipe that didn't have an airspace in it, and this one was completely submerged. But uh, what you'll find in some of these pipes is you'll find an obstruction from either rocks or or uh, metal post or branches, barbed wire, that sort of thing that gets sucked into these pipes and gets stuck in there. And so I knew that that if I let go and I went through the pipe and there was an obstruction on the other end, that, you know, that'd be it, you know, that I wouldn't be able to make it out. So I felt like my only hope was going forward the way I came in. And I was probably about um, 10 or 12 feet into the pipe. And so uh, I just started pushing with everything I had. I was making these little tiny steps, probably two to four inches at a time. I was moving forward. Uh, because of the pressure on the water was you know was so strong against my body, and uh as i'm in there, all of um my instinct or all of my senses were were just heightened just incredibly i could I felt like I could feel every drop of water going across my body. I felt like I could see every every little tiny speck of dust or dirt that passed by me in the water uh you know I could hear every sound. And I just started pushing forward. And, and, you know, at that time, all I could think about was was just surviving. And I was thinking about my wife and kids and I was praying and that was it. You know, it's just just down to the very, the, the very most basic sure. thoughts or the very most basic parts of your of your core. You know, so I'm pushing forward. I make it to the end of the pipe the, the bridge had about eight, in, uh, about 8 or 10 inches of water across the top of it. It was flowing across the top of the bridge at the time. And so I made it to the end of the pipe, and I was able to get my hands on the outside of the pipe. And I was trying to pull my, push myself out of the pipe, but at the, at the front of the pipe, the water was stronger, and I couldn't get any part of my body. I couldn't get my head out. I couldn't get my shoulder out. Uh, the only thing I was able to get out of the pipe was just my arm. And so I'm trying to figure out, you know, what I need to do to, to you know, get myself out of that pipe. Uh, the pipe is probably three or four feet under the water. And about this time, I see my friend, Bobby, his hand reaching down through the water towards me. Uh, the water was, was murky because it had been flooding that week, but it was, you know, it wasn't so dirty that you mm-hmm. couldn't see. There was probably there was probably about six feet of decent visibility and then cloudy visibility after that. I reach up and I grab Bobby's hand, I always tell people that when I grab Bobby's hand, there's nothing that replaces the feel of the touch of another human being. I mean, when I touched Bobby's hand, you know, it just gave me hope and it, you know, I knew I wasn't alone. And so he was on his hands and knees on top of the bridge and hanging on with one hand and on his knees and reaching down with the other hand grabbed his hand and I thought, oh, this is all I need, you know, just that little extra pull and I'm out of here. I pushed up as hard as I could and pulled on Bobby's hand at the same time. And when I did that, our hands came apart. I lost grasp with Bobby's hand and our hands uh, separated. And and when that happened, I lost my grip with my other hand and I got pushed back into the pipe a second mm, time. Wow. And this time I didn't go back into the pipe quite as far. I was probably only about six feet into the pipe the the second time and I started pushing forward again because I knew I could make it to the front of the pipe and already did it once but my concern was is I'd been underwater for a long time at this point and I didn't know how much longer I could hold my breath and uh, I started pushing forward and I, I made it about maybe maybe a couple of feet and all of a sudden I just felt like like i was encapsulated I, I just felt like a bubble uh, surrounded me and everything the water just seemed to be in slow motion it wasn't hazy like i was blacking out it was it was very i, I had a very conscious thought of it and it was very clear but the the sound got quieter i didn't it's like i didn't even feel the water touching my skin and just in that moment i knew that everything was where it was supposed to be everything was right with the world and there was nothing to worry about that everything would be taken care of. And I just was overwhelmed with the sense of peace. There was no fading. It was just in an instant, like turning off a light switch. I went from conscious to unconscious as far as the physical part goes not the spiritual or not the consciousness, but, but the physical body went unconscious. And when that happened, my immediate thought was, well, first of all, I went to a different place. And the place that I went to, I felt like I was kind of in a, like a hallway, but not quite like a hallway. Some, like, like maybe a combination of a hallway and a, and a cave because the floor was like black marble. It was just like a shiny black, black marble. And to the left of me and overhead of me, uh, there was a wall. But it was it was it was kind of rigid, uh, like you'd see on the wall of the cave, but it was it was soft, it was like covered with felt or velvet, but it was black, just black, and off to the right of me, it was just openness it was uh it was just like it was endless darkness and, and it was it was such a darkness, it was a kind of darkness that you could stick your hand out to and and lose sight of your hand. It was that kind of dark, and in front of me, at a distance of if I had to guess, it felt like it was maybe sixty or seventy yards in front of me. There was what looked like a blue stained glass window with a hole in it, but not a round hole. It was a hole—a hole like if somebody had thrown a rock through a piece of glass. And behind it was this bright, bright white light. It was a white light, and and it kind of had a—it kind of looked like a kaleidoscope because the, it was it was dimming and and brightening, you know, and changing patterns a bit. And the the edges of the broken glass, that's the only way I can describe it, had rays of light coming off of it, which were reflecting off the floor and shining on the walls.
3: Pat,
1: we have to go into our first break, and when we come back, We'd love to hear more about your experience. And it sounds scary, but it also sounds like there's some possibility for a much bigger view of life coming. So we'll be back in just a minute. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal
0: Podcast Network. Don't go anywhere. There's more Shades of the Afterlife coming right up.
3: Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think, it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
4: In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all, the hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in the Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sareb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: You're listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network.
3: Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
1: Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain, and we are with Pat Johnson talking about his near-death experience. And Pat, when you last were speaking, you were telling us that you were under the water in your kayak, trapped, and you felt yourself in a hallway slash cave with a magnificent stained glass window cracked, and you were seeing a bright light. What did you sense next?
2: It immediately I felt connected to an indescribable number of souls, and I don't know how how I know that. I just know it. And my first thought is Man, you got to be bad to not get to come here because I felt like I was where I was supposed to be, and I just knew there was multitudes of souls with me, and I I didn't feel like I'd been that good a person, but I felt like I was there where you know where we where we're supposed to go when we leave this place, and the second thought that I had, or the second feeling that I got, or awareness that I got. Because I felt like my kids and my wife would be walking. I felt like I could look over my shoulder and my kids and my wife would be walking in right behind me. And I think that might be something to do with our distortion of time, you know, yeah. between here and there. And, and I've thought about it many times. And I think maybe that's part of the peace that I had, because sure. if I leave them 34 years in terms of what we know as time on earth it would maybe only be a like a snap of a finger, you know, on the other side. I don't yes. know. I felt no connection to my body. I just felt the relaxation like I've never felt before. I had my consciousness and I and I, was, and I had my awareness. But, you know, even as relaxed as we get here on earth, you know, we can still feel our clothes touching us or maybe even air touching us. But there, there was it was just total relaxation with with no hurts or aches or just no sense of a body. I wanted to get to the light. I was wanting to get to the light as quick as I could, but I was being drawn to the light, just gradually drawn to the light, not at, not at my speed. and I'm sure most people can relate to this. It's kind of like in a dream where where you're being pulled along slowly and you don't have control of of your movement, and that's what it was like. And as I got closer to the light, What was giving the light, the kaleidoscope effect, there were people walking back and forth in front of the light, very calmly walking left to right, right to left. And I was getting closer to them, but the light was so bright behind them, all I could see was silhouettes and I could never recognize any of the people. I wanted to see who they were, but I never got recognition of who they were. And as I approached the light and I got closer to the people, you know, I felt this overwhelming love and acceptance I woke up and when I woke up I was staring at the water I was on you know these rocks were below me and there was a maybe four or five inches of water covering the rocks and I was going towards the rocks and being pulled back away from the rocks and the, the, the first sense that I had when I came to was what had happened was is when I lost consciousness there wasn't anything in the pipe and I got pushed out of the pipe and pushed down the river through the rapids. And my friend was with me, was able to jump off the bridge and catch up to me about 75 yards down the down the river from the bridge. And he was able to pull me out of the rapids uh, into the shallow part of the water. And he didn't know how to do CPR, so he rolled me over on, his, on my stomach. And uh, he said when he got to me, my face was a grayish-purple and my eyes were open, fixed, wide open... But, you know, I wasn't breathing. And when he got me to the shallow part of the water, he rolled me over on his, on my stomach and he straddled me from behind and put his arms around me about uh, my lower part of my chest and upper part of my stomach. And he just started raising me up and down. That's all he knew to do. Mm-hmm. and uh, and, I'm, and he was in shock at the time. It worked. It worked as far as, um, you know, the act of a C- of doing CPR. Yes. So it, it resuscitated me. That's the word I'm looking for. It resuscitated me. And so when I came to, he's pulling me up and down. Immediately again, the first thing I feel is the touch of his hands around me, his arms around me. That's the first thing that I sensed. And same, same as, as when he touched my hand when mm-hmm. I was in that pipe, nothing replaces the touch of another human being. And the next sense that I felt was the air touching my face. I could feel it just talking, to, describing it right now. I can, I can feel it like it was just happened a minute ago. This nice cool breeze touching my skin. And then I realized, you know, what was going on, and I pulled my knees up under me and I put, pulled my hands up under me to to steady myself. And when I did that, it took the the pressure off of uh, Bobby's arms and hands. And he just rolled me over and he grabbed me and started hugging me and kissing me and telling me he loved me and then he started yelling and screaming at me and cussing me out and <laughs> this went back and forth, you know, for three or four minutes before he could settle himself down and he was crying. Sure. And uh he was he was actually in worse shape than I was in. He was in shock and that's been a few years back and to this day it's hard for him to talk about mm-hmm. it. He felt like he was gonna be coming back to my house and having to give my wife the news that I had died that day, and that's all he could think about when he was trying to resuscitate me, so when I came to, and after Bobby had recovered, I crawled up on the bank and i I laid on my back, and I was just looking up at the sky, trying to get myself together after I'd finished coughing up water. every muscle in my body was fatigued and was was hurting and and my my chest was hurting i could bear and I could just take these tiny little breaths. And then my head was, was just pounding. It felt like somebody had hit me in the head with a baseball bat. I had a terrible headache. But I remember laying there on my back and looking up at the sky. And it was like the first time I'd ever seen the sky. I couldn't, uh, you know, I'd never seen a sky so beautiful. And I was just laid there in amazement. It was just this baby blue color with these little white puffy clouds like little balls of cotton going floating across the sky and all the clouds seemed to be illuminated. There almost seemed to be a light inside of each cloud. I could, yeah, I could feel the clouds. I had a feeling that I couldn't describe. I was able to lay there for a few minutes and just thinking to myself how you know, I've never seen a sky that beautiful before. After five or ten minutes, I had to get myself back together because we're out in the middle of nowhere. And we're an hour and 45 minute float still away from, from a vehicle. And, uh, you know, there's no roads. It's, it's out, oh you know, it's just gosh. out in the middle of nowhere and there's no houses, nothing. So I have to get back in the kayak and continue on with the trip. And, uh, I'd lost my paddle. And so the, fortunately these paddles that you kayak with, they come apart in the middle. So we took Bobby's paddle and, and, uh, he took half of it and I took half of it and we continued on. We finally ran across my paddle you know, not you know, not long after we gotten started. But one of the turning points for me, or maybe the turning point for me, was probably about 20 minutes downriver, I'm trying to take all this in, and as I'm going down the river, you know, just the strangest things are happening to me. I, I felt like I could feel the trees. I felt like they were a part of me. I felt like the, the rocks, the grass, everything. I could just feel, I just felt connected to everything that, that was around me about twenty minutes into the float, this white egrid flew from the in front of us from the left side of the river over to the right side of the river and landed in this big cypress tree. And it looked like it was it was illuminated. It looked like it had a, a haze around it that had light attached to it. It landed in that tree and just sat there. It was just glowing. And I knew I knew in that moment that my life was changed forever. I knew that Things would never be the same. Oh, God, I'm getting choked up thinking about it. I knew that things would never be the same after that point. Whenever I talked about this story, I asked God to let it be his story and for me to be true to it, not to ever change anything and let it to be you know, for his service and his will and not mine. I prayed that. And then I looked at my friend Bobby and I told him, I said, man, you're going to think I'm crazy. You're going to think this is really nuts, but I'm glad this happened to me. And I said, I can't explain it, Bobby, but man, I went to this place. It was just beyond description. It was fabulous. I can't describe the feeling I have right now. Really glad that this happened to me. Anyway, we made the rest of the float and got back in our truck and loaded up our kayaks and came home. And, you know, my wife was waiting on us and she could tell something was up. And so I walked to the bedroom and Bobby stayed in the kitchen with her. And Bobby started crying again and tell her told her that, but I almost died, and then she came in there, and you know when we hugged, and uh, and she's she's fantastic. She's been very understanding, and you know because when you do have a near death experience, a lot of things happen that uh, that continue to happen to you even after the experience. You know, you have different insights and you have different views on things. I know, like a couple weeks after this happened, you know, people would come up to me and say, "Oh, I heard what happened. You know, man, I'm just so glad you're okay." and uh, I guess you know you're so lucky. I guess it just wasn't your time and things like that. After a couple of weeks, I I looked at my wife one day and I said, "Man, honey, don't take this the wrong way, but when people come up to me and tell me that stuff, I just want to tell them, you know, yeah, I am lucky, but if I wouldn't have come back, it would have been okay. I was in such a beautiful place. It, right. it was, it would have been okay. When you're here on Earth, it's it, that's not our choice, you know. When we we go and when we're called. And in the meantime, you know, we do what we are sent here to do, to, to learn and to teach and, and to be tempered and to be prepared for that next part of, of our existence. Anyway, there's times when, you know, as a near-death experiencer that you get confused, especially in the early years for near-deathers, you get confused and you're, you're searching for a purpose and, and it can be frustrating and create a lot of ex- anxiety in my life. I finally came to the realization that uh, our purposes are in front of us every day. We just have to be aware of them and take advantage of the opportunities. What we think is important and what we think is, you know, that we have to have this grand purpose, saving a starving nation or curing cancer or something like that. Those are things that are on our terms. But uh, the reality of it is, is that in God's terms, maybe something as simple as, you know, hugging a kid that doesn't have a parent or going and visiting with a a shut-in neighbor that uh, is isolated. I mean, you know, the reality of it is, is there's no act of kindness or love that is too small or that is more important than another one. They're all important.
1: Oh, Pat, I agree. It could be the smallest acts that make the biggest difference with people. Anyways, we need to go to our next break. And when we come back, I'd love to find out more of the wisdom that you received and that has unfolded since you've had your near-death experience. So we'll be back in just a minute. You're listening to Pat Johnson and myself here on Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio Radio and Coast to Coast
0: AM, Paranormal Podcast Network. Don't go anywhere. There's more Shades of the Afterlife coming right up.
3: Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
4: In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst and the Jinx. Hey, it's the Wizard of Weird,
0: Joshua P. Warren. Don't forget to check out my show, Strange Things, each week as I bring you the world of the truly amazing and bizarre right here on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network.
3: Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
1: Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain, and we are here with Pat Johnson, near-death experiencer. And Pat, just before the break, we were really talking about making a difference, and it doesn't have to be these big, grandiose things. It can be simple things. Simple things matter, right?
2: They absolutely do. And simple things are not simple things. Mm -mm. You don't know where it ends. I mean, you know, you could encourage in a small way, just give somebody a, a loving touch, or a sign that you see them and they're valued, and they can take that and pass that on to another person, and pass it on to another person, or they can hold it the rest of their life and you know use it for motivation and inspiration to do good things as long as they're here on earth. And you don't know where that's going to take them, or where that act that you think is simple or small right. will end up. It can you have know? a
1: ripple effect on many, many other people.
2: Absolutely, yeah. absolutely one of the strangest things that happened to me was when I went into a restaurant or a crowded room or uh, any place that there were people, for the first couple of months, I felt like it wasn't that I visibly saw their souls, but people's souls, people that were around me, their souls were almost tangible to me. I felt like I could reach out and actually grasp your soul. I just had a sense of everybody's inner soul that was around me. The level of noise mm-hmm. was reduced. I could distinguish multiple conversations at one time. What was really neat about it too is when I had that sense that I could see and feel people's souls, it took all the judgment away from the way I looked at people. I was able to look at people the way God looks at people, the way he values people it's for their soul. It has nothing to do with how smart they are, what how pretty they dirty like, are, yeah. what clothes they have on, what their job is, their education, nothing. The sense that I got was that in God's book, everybody is important, and he desperately wants everybody. It almost got to be a joke to me. I would see somebody pull up <laughs> in, a, in a big four-wheel drive jacked-up truck and strut out of it, and I would just snicker. And I would see some little old lady shuffling down the street that may be considered uh, low on social status. Mm -hmm. And she shined to me. So, and I will say that over time that faded, you know. Uh, I mean, I could still get pieces of that, but not like it was when when it first happened, you know, for the first couple of months. It was just like looking at another person, almost like a shadow, I would say.
1: We really are souls having a human experience, and I think you just got the opportunity to really see those souls. Pat, what kind of things were you left with after this experience?
2: The messages that stuck with me, first and foremost, I had this message that we're overthinking things, just love God and love each other and everything is going to take care of itself. It was that simple. It was not that simple. It wasn't this long, drawn out floating through the stars, through the ages or anything like that. It was just like, it was just like you're overthinking, th- not you're overthinking things. It was we're overthinking right. things, love God, love each other and everything else will take care of itself. One of the other insights that just almost as strong was the connectedness. And when you're talking about, you know, we don't see our, our souls while we're here on earth. I got this overwhelming sense that, and, and I could see it when I could see the souls is that we're all Interconnected. I was talking about it to this, this one lady that was in our uh, near death support group. And she was an elderly lady that had had an an NDE back in the, I think in the late fifties. And I described that to her and she just kind of chuckled and she said, yeah, it's like that rug right there on the floor. That rug is, is an individual rug, but it's made up of thousands of threads. The threads are all bound together, but they each individually keep their identity but they're all bound together to make up the rug.
1: Oh, that's great.
2: And that's the way our souls are. We're all touching each other, and we don't see it. That's why it's so important to realize, you know, your actions towards people, the way you react or the way you treat one person affects everybody. It ripples through the souls, and it touches all of us, negative or positive. When you do something to make somebody feel better, it can make lots of people feel better. If you do something to make somebody feel bad, It can make other people feel bad. You're not just affecting that one person.
1: And we're affecting ourselves, too.
2: We're affecting ourselves. Yeah, for sure. Like I said, it's a life changer. It changes the way you look at everything. And especially for me, it changed the way I look at people more than anything.
1: Mm. Pat, how did you get involved with IANS?
2: Well, when I came back, uh, when I had the experience... I was, gosh, let me think. It Was mm-hmm. in 2010. I was scared. I was anxious because I was seeing things differently. And I mean, come on, you know, you're just having a good time and you're working and taking care of your family one day, and the next day you think you see people's souls.
1: Mm-hmm. I
2: mean, come on, that just doesn't happen, you know. A little weird, yeah. And, right. No, it was it was it was strange, and it was it was scaring me. And I didn't know what else. And there were some other things that were changing for me also. And I told my my wife couple weeks after this happened, I said, you know, I got to talk to somebody. And I said, I want to talk to a psychiatrist. I don't want to talk to a, a counselor. I got to find somebody that this has happened to. And, and specifically, I'd like to find somebody that's drowned. And so I started looking on the internet and I found IONS, the International Association of Near Death Studies. And I contacted their, their office in uh, Durham, North Carolina, and they put me in touch with uh, the local chapter. And at the time, there was a guy named Ed Salisbury, and he, he still runs the group. That was running the group, and, uh, and they gave my phone number to Ed. And a couple days after I'd contacted him, Ed gave me a call. And I felt an immediate co- connection with him because he understood what I was talking about. I couldn't, mm-hmm. I, my family or friends didn't understand what I was, what I was trying to tell them. They, they couldn't relate to it. But as soon as I got on the phone with Ed, within five minutes of talking to him, I just connected with him immediately. He understood what I was talking about. And my my stress and my anxiety was gone almost immediately. You know, he just ex- explained to me that there was going to be some other changes that were going to happen, that it takes a while to integrate all these things into your life, and that it's all good and not to worry. And that, that's all I needed to hear. And from that point on, I was fine. So they had a meeting once every two months here in uh, Austin. And I, I just live about 30 miles from Austin. So I started going to the meetings and and uh, I was in a group of other near-death experiencers. And it's, it's just a great support group. You know, they understand what you're talking about. You feel at home. Uh, you go out and you deal with the world as it is. And every month or two, you can go over there and be amongst friends that dealing with the same things and, and you talk to them and and you feel like you're at home and then you recharge your batteries and then you go out there and you do it again. And speaking of recharging batteries, one of the things that I found very helpful for me is, um, I call it meditative prayer when I can get up in the morning and just be very, very still and very quiet and pray. And then after I pray, just be very still and meditate and just try to open my mind and my heart and listen for answers. And that that has given me the closest thing that I've found to my NDE. That's the strongest connection I have.
1: Can you walk us Uh, through that again, what you do?
2: I usually get up in the morning Mm -hmm. early before my wife is up. And all our kids are grown, so we, we don't have kids in the house.
1: Oh, and I hear you have 16 and, grandchildren? <laughs> yeah, I
2: got 16 grandchildren. Oh, my we, got goodness. Like, we got a lot of people around here, but, yeah. you know, not, just my wife and I live here, mm-hmm. fortunately, you know, so we don't have to, at our age, we don't have to deal with Diapers. 16 screaming kids all mm-hmm. the time. Anyway, I get up early in the morning before she does. I like to come in. I got a chair that I like to sit in. I like to leave the lights off. I want it as quiet as possible. And I just bow my head and I pray and I pray until done praying. It might take five minutes. It might take 10 minutes, whatever I want to share with God, whatever I want to ask God about or tell him I do. And then I like to sit still for five or 10 minutes and just listen. And and it's amazing to me how often when there's something that's troubling me, that it's, you know, and I don't hear a voice, it's. You know, people say, oh, God spoke to me. I've never heard a voice. Even in my (laughs) ND, I didn't hear a voice. Mm -hmm. You just know. Answers come sometimes and sometimes they don't come, but it always puts me at peace. So maybe that is the answer. Maybe just the peace is the answer. I I have to say, since we're on the subject, one thing that has distressed me a bit is I've met a lot of people over the last few years that are interested or involved in the near-death experience. Uh, A lot of people that I met that have not had a near-death experience but are interested in it, there seems to be, they read a lot, they theorize a lot, they're looking for answers, scientific proof, you know, they talk about it a lot. And I think all those things are great. I think, you know, in my opinion, you know, your, your prayer is part of your spiritual life, your your study and your, and your search is part of your spiritual life. But one thing that I see that's, uh, and I think it's the third leg of it, is just living, going out in the world and living mm-hmm. and sharing and serving and loving and being loved, you know, the contact with other people. And sometimes I see the NDE movement with a lot of study and research and, and reading and writing and contemplation. But um, I think we also have to take the lessons that we learned from the NDE. And act on them. Also, I don't think you know when we talk about unconditional love, and, and we talk about uh, you know the love that we felt on the other side. I think that that we we have to share that love. And I think I think the love it, it can be dead if we're not if we're we're not touching people with it, and we're not sharing it with people. And mm-hmm. you know, when I say sharing it with people, I mean actively getting out in your community and your and your environment wherever you might live and giving that word of encouragement to somebody that, that's down on their luck or is having a troubled time, you know, uh, sharing a laugh with somebody, you know, going, stopping by and visiting somebody that you hadn't seen in a while. I think we learn from each other and we're teaching each other, and that is part of the, that's part of the journey that sometimes we don't get involved with as much as we should, where we help each other and others help us.
1: Pat, we're going to go in for our last break. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about service, because it's really great to learn about the afterlife and near-death experiences. But you're right. How do we live our lives and putting this all into action? So we're going to hear more in just a minute from Pat Johnson. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network.
3: Stay right there there's more sandra coming right up are you ready to fight back against crime hi guys nancy grace here host of podcast crime stories with nancy grace i've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims for a decade i prosecuted violent felonies personally investigating prosecuting and covering literally thousands of cases It's so easy to think, it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
4: In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst and the Jinx. Now, the person responsible for that moment, Sareb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Thanks for listening. Keep it here on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network.
3: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
1: Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain, and we're talking with Pat Johnson about his near-death experience and what he's learned after. And if you're somebody interested in near-death experiences, you've absolutely got to check out our friends at IANS, which is the International Association for Near-Death Studies. For over 40 years, they have been collecting stories of people's experiences They are on the forefront for sharing all information about the near-death experiences. There's always a conference in the late summer. This coming one is going to be in 2022 in Salt Lake City. It will be online, also in person. And you can find out where your local IANS chapters are on the website. You do not have to have had a near-death experience to join. It's a great group of people talking about the afterlife, talking about living life powerfully. And they do lots of things online also. So their website is iands.org. So it's the letter I-A-N-D-S dot org. So let's get back to you, Pat. We were just talking about being of service before the break. And what are your thoughts about being of service to others and really how to treat other people?
2: I think just acknowledging somebody, just saying, I see you, you know, you're valued, you know, and, and there's many different ways that you can do that. Just a kind smile, a thank you. Uh, Let me get that door for you. So, so many ways that we can do it every day, all the time. And those are the things that, that lift our spirits and we can give it for free. It doesn't cost us anything. We, You know, we can every time, practically any time you turn around you can have a positive effect sure, on some, sure. on somebody.
1: Simple things really do matter. And I do think that for each one of us hearing all these different stories, you know, there's definitely a message that we can take away from it.
2: Yes. And the message is for all of us, mm-hmm. for everybody. It's not it doesn't exclu- exclude one single person walking the face of this earth. Right. This is all about love and togetherness and connectedness and what we can do for each other, you know. How could anybody not want to live that life? Yeah.
1: And I think, too, Pat, there's so many different stories that have happened that I've heard. I've interviewed a lot of people that have had the near-death experiences. And they're different stories with a lot of common themes. But, you know, some people, you know, you might have seen the light through the glass and the souls. And some people have seen deceased loved ones. And, I mean, there's so many. I think, you know, not any human being. uh, I mean, there's many different experiences as there are probably people living this this earth Um, but each one of them matters and you can be so inspired about us being souls having a human experience about (laughs) what our life is for and also have the comfort that this life is just part of a a much bigger whole
3: yeah
2: and and I think we we know the lessons we know the messages everybody knows most most of your major religions are based on (laughs) on these themes but when you uh, experience it with other people, it inspires you, it makes you more aware of them, it takes it from, you know, it helps you take it from a thought or a, or a feeling, and it gives it legs and feet. It, it inspires you to make it active in your life, you know. Right, right. And we need that from each other. You know, mm-hmm. we need to inspire each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, that's the fuel that we need to run on, you know. I do. So uh, you're surrounded by like-minded people that sure. want to make things better. And it's a battery recharge. You go out the next day
1: oh, absolutely. to work
2: with a with a little pep in your step, and it's inspirational to the people that you run into after that.
1: That's why it's so important to stay plugged in and recharge ourselves and have people in our life that speak this same language language. It's so important, whether you're listening to podcasts, uh, going to a seminar, reading things online, reading books, coming to one of our live classes. Oh, we've got tons of great things, but it's important to stay plugged in to the bigger picture so you remember who you are. So Pat, I want to thank you so much for being our guest today and ask if you have any closing words.
2: Oh, thank you, Sandra. Thank you so much for, for all the hard work that you do and spreading the messages and and the insights that you've been given and that your guests uh, share with the public. It's, it's just super important. And just I want to remind everybody that's listening, you know, just to fill your heart with love and go out there and spread it and, and be aware of what's going on around you. And Look for those opportunities to encourage each other and to encourage other people around you. Yeah, and
1: it all starts with the four letter word of love, right?
2: Love. That's it, that's right. And we got to give legs and feet to it. We got to be out there touching and hugging and patting each other on the back and doing what we have to do to. Lift people up and and into the the glowing spirits that we all want to be.
1: I've been thinking this week about Mother Teresa. And if you were at our most recent Sunday gathering, you would have heard me talking a little bit about her. And if you've been listening to this show, you know we offer a free Sunday service. That's unlike any other service, I think. It's got a little bit of prayer, some music videos, some readings, uh, happy address, we call it words of inspiration to get you started for the week and always have a medium demonstration so that members of our online congregation get messages from their loved ones and everybody gets to see that life goes on and your loved ones are only a breath away. They're cheering you on in life. But last week I had read this quote by Mother Teresa and our interview with Pat just now just reminded me that everything we learn about the afterlife is for two different reasons. One is to help us through the incredible pain from grief. It is the most horrendous thing any human being will have to go through ever. And the other thing is It helps us live a good life when we take away that fear of dying, and we know that our loved ones are around us cheering us on. It's almost like they left for a vacation before we can go. We're too busy, still working, and we're going to catch another flight, but they left first. So they're there, and they'll be waiting for us. Even our pets will be there, But while we're here, we really make the most of it. And as great as it is to look for evidence of the afterlife, what's important is to use the messages like we just heard from Pat. So I'd like to read to you the Mother Teresa quote that I read this past week on our Sunday gathering. Spread love everywhere you go. First of all, in your own home. Give love to your children, to your wife or husband, to a next-door neighbor. Let no one ever come to you without leaving better and happier. Be the living expression of God's kindness. Kindness in your face. Kindness in your eyes. Kindness in your smile. Kindness in your warm greeting. And we all have our own version of God, whether you want to believe it's a bearded guy sitting on a throne somewhere out there in heaven or it's the light that is within all of us, that connects all of us. But we all have a sense of this higher power. I have a couple other quotes by Mother Teresa that I just found, and it goes along with what Pat says and about how to live life. This one says, intense love does not measure, it just gives. You know, what would it be like to go through life and Look in somebody's eyes and see the soul behind that person, behind all that baggage or those things that irritate you about them. You know what I mean? Just to see a pure soul and give them love no matter what. Here's another one. Let us always meet each other with a smile, for a smile is the beginning of love. I know we've lived a long time wearing masks, but a smile is the best accessory going. It really is. And it makes people feel warm. There's so much fear that we have, but just a little smile to say, hey, I see you. And here's the last one. At the end of life, we're going to be judged on the basis of our love for one another. Well, here's a little secret from all the people I've interviewed and everything I've researched. Guess who judges you at the end of your life? Are you ready for it? It's you. You get to look back on your life, experience a life review of sorts, and experience the different times in your life where you made a difference for another person. If there's times that, oh, maybe you said something you shouldn't have or lied or hurt another person, you get to experience it from their perspective, not as a make wrong, but looking at yourself and your soul, did you do the, the right actions while you were here on Earth. And if you didn't, what could you do in the future? You see, when we travel to the unseen world, the afterlife, we continue to learn, we continue to love, and we continue to grow those things that we didn't end up doing while we were here on Earth. We still have an opportunity to do them. Nothing is lost. But if we do have this life review, Why not take a look at your life and my life now, clean up the things we need to clean up for, apologize where we must, and have a new slate, turn over a new leaf. Life is an amazing place, and we really can't live it when we have too much baggage on our back. So even forgive yourself. We human beings do the best job we can with what we've got. So there's no sense in stewing in the past or worrying about the future. Just be present because the present moment, yes, it is a gift. So a reminder, our home base is we wedontdie.com, where you can find past episodes, you can attend our free Sunday gathering, you can join us for one of our wonderful online courses or medium demonstrations. And if you go to the store page and you want a copy of my book, We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death, just scroll down on that store page and to find the audiobook. use coupon code FREE. F-R-E-E, and be my guest. You'll also get the PDF file if you'd rather read it. So in closing, I want to thank our friend Pat Johnson for being here today. I want to thank you for listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network.